0: since the last time I was here <laughs> since the last time I was here Mr. Walker has been talking about issues that are of great importance to the people of Georgia like whether it's better to be a vampire or a werewolf. This is a debate that I must confess I once had myself <laughs> when I was seven. Then I grew up. In case you're wondering, by the way, Mr. Walker decided he wanted to be a werewolf. Which is great. As far as I'm concerned, he can be anything he wants to be. Except for a United States Senator.
1: (laughs) Barack Obama in Georgia. Saving the day. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. We'll see. I got the feeling of something i scared in case I fall off my chair And I'm how I'll get down the stairs Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right Here I am, stuck in the middle with you I am From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the Bradcast As heard on KPFK, 90.7 FM in LA Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding On KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN And up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso, Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN. In Palinville, New York on WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day for you On the internet, so on the Progressive Voices channel Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans Sandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio Detour Talk and most of your favorite podcast sites Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker all around. Swell Fellow says me from bradblog.com. Don't look at me that way, Desi Doyen. I say it
2: sometimes, too. I am
1: swell. And swelling up more and more every day. Thank you for joining us for an exciting edition of the Bradcast. Uh, Okay, obviously, I think everybody uh, knows that that was Barack Obama at the top of the show there.
2: Presumably. You
1: could tell by the long pauses. Uh, That was him campaigning for Democratic Senator Reverend Raphael Warnock in Georgia, in Atlanta, as his uh, reelection runoff campaign against Trump backed former football player Herschel Walker will be, well, I was going to say it will be over on Tuesday. The voting will be over on Tuesday. <laughs> that
2: portion of the festivities will be that done portion, on Tuesday. That portion,
1: correct. Now, if you follow the show, you may know that I have described Hersh Walker as an unapologetic liar, a uh, sociopathic liar, and other variations on that theme. And in fact, that is not by way of insulting Walker but simply by describing him because that is what he is. And I don't think I need to go through all of the various lies that this dude has proven to have told uh, while running for U.S. Senate in Georgia. It's only an hour-long show anyway, (laughs) so I wouldn't be able to. But, you know, from his claims that he used to work in law enforcement, he never did. He graduated at the top of his college class. He actually apparently didn't graduate college at all. And of course, that he has always opposed abortion for every woman with zero exceptions for rape, incest, or even the life of the mother. When now at least two women have come out with evidence that he urged and or forced them to actually have abortions some years ago. Well, just one last lie apparently before we get to tuesday detailed by barack obama during his rally for uh for senator warnock on thursday in atlanta
0: since the last time i was here apparently he also claimed that he used to let me beat him at basketball but then he admitted that we've never actually met So I guess this was more of a imaginary whooping that I laid on him. Now, listen, this would be funny if he weren't running for Senate.
1: True. Indeed. Uh, Although it's still kind of funny. Anyway, uh, yeah, I, I, I wish the rest of the media, frankly, would describe people as liars when they actually lie. I, I believe it would show a lot more respect for the electorate if we simply told the truth to people about people, even if it might seem impolite or hurt their fifis. But I think we'd end up with a much more educated electorate, which is, after all, the or should be the mission of the media. It certainly Our mission. In far less hilarious news out of this uh, race in Georgia today, as reported on Friday by the Savannah Morning News, a teen was shot by a 42 year old Savannah man while he was campaigning for Raphael Warnock for the upcoming runoff election outside the man's home. This is on December 1, according to the Savannah Police Department's preliminary investigation. The SPD press release says, quote, at this point, there is no indication that the shooting was politically motivated. Okay. While at the front door of one of the residences on Hartridge Street in Savannah, the suspect fired a shot through the closed door, striking the teen. Around 5.35 p.m. on Thursday, officers responded in reference to a shooting and discovered a 15-year-old male, uh, male victim suffering from a gunshot wound to the leg. He was transported to Memorial Medical Center for treatment of, thankfully non-life-threatening injuries. Officers quickly identified and loca- located the suspect, Jimmy Paez, at the resident. Paez was booked into the Chatham County Jail on charges of aggravated assault and aggravated battery. So we still don't have a motive as far as why this happened. Um, the police say at this point no indication it was politically motivated. Okay. Uh, but the man was out campaigning for Raphael Warnock and he was shot through a door when he went to knock on on someone's uh, house. Uh, Senator Warnock said in a statement provided to the Savannah Morning News, quote, I am saddened to learn about this incident. I'm praying for the victim and their family and wish them a full recovery. The case remains under investigation, according to the Savannah Morning News. Another
2: responsible gun owner shooting through a closed door at someone he can't see.
1: Yep a uh, member of our uh, well-regulated militia. So, uh, you know, uh, I'm I'm not sure, frankly, if it makes it any better. Either way, if he's not, pol- if it was not politically motivated, I don't know. But we will try to keep our eyes on that story. And I've got a bunch of other continuing 2022 election stories to try to get to shortly. But first up, uh, some quick-ish news on the matter of that impending rail strike that we covered a day or two ago on this program as the house had at the time just approved two bills to help avert the uh, strike one that would approve an agreement between unions and the rail companies that increased worker pay by some 24 percent over the next five years it also included five thousand dollar bonuses going back to 2020 some improvement in health care coverage one single paid personal day per year and other than that zero paid sick days beyond that one despite rail companies cutting way back on workers in recent years Uh, and making record profits in the bargain and requiring employees, in some cases, to be on call 24-7 around the clock and often work, you know, 14-hour-long shifts or more for sometimes weeks on end.
2: And, of course, that's what you really want, people who are transporting hazardous chemicals and oil and coal and all kinds of dangerous stuff Mm -hmm. across the the United States when they're tired, sick, and
1: exhausted. Yep. But uh, that's what uh, this agreement would uh, would do. You know, it does increase pay, but it makes it very difficult for them to take any time off to get better or get rest or go to a doctor. Now, eight out of 12 of the rail unions actually voted to accept this agreement. It was brokered in part by the Biden administration between the sides that had been negotiating for several years now to get to this new contract. Four of those 12 unions, however, objected to the new agreement. Now, it sounds like four out of 12. Well, that's the majority. were in favor of it. Well, actually, those four unions represent more than 50 percent of the workers. Uh, and they opposed this uh, this agreement because of that lack of sick days that was built into it. But a federal statute allows Congress to force these sorts of agreements to be accepted by rail workers and the uh, train companies to avoid shutdowns that would come with a huge cost to the national economy to the tune of about one to two billion dollars a day, depending on who you asked in this particular uh, um. Uh, contest and could, you know, plunge the nation into what many have described as a potentially catastrophic recession. So in addition to the House bill that was passed on Wednesday to force the unions to accept this agreement as written, which uh, was supported by the White House. Democrats also passed a second bill along with it with the support of all of the Democrats and just three Republican members of the U.S. House that would have mandated seven paid sick days per year for rail workers. Now, I know that some progressives were and or are furious that the bills were adopted This way in in the House as two separate bills. But as The Intercept's Ryan Grimm pointed out on Twitter on Thursday, following the vote on Wednesday night, uh, he said uh, there seems to be a lot of confusion here about the vote yesterday. The unions wanted the Progressive Caucus and the squad to vote the way that they did in favor of these two measures so that they could fight in the Senate. Grim said you can disagree with that strategy but it's the one that the unions themselves settled on. Now progressive congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York she jumped in to confirm Ryan's reporting on this, uh, tweeting, yes, and it's not just national union leadership either. We followed the strategy ask of our local unions, including rank and file. We've picketed alongside before, as well as national unions that rejected ratification. So this is the way the unions uh, wanted to move forward, knowing what they were facing in the uh, in the U.S. Senate, where it takes. 60 votes to pass anything. And on Thursday, then the ratification bill and the sick leave bill both came up for a vote in both cases. Thanks to the undemocratic Senate filibuster, they had to come up with those 60 votes to to, in order to pass either of them. Well, the main bill passed by an overwhelmingly bipartisan majority, 80 to 15 in the Senate to accept the uh, the agreement as is. Amid concerns about the grave threat posed to the economy and the potential loss of nearly a million jobs, by the way, if the rail uh, if if the rails shut down across the country and uh, the sick leave bill also received a majority vote. But not enough in the U.S. Senate. It was 52 to 43. That is not enough to overcome the stupid Senate filibuster. So all Democrats present, except for Joe Manchin, again, uh, voted uh, in favor of the bill. Joe Manchin voted, as usual, against it, against the sick leave bill. Raphael Warnock was back in his state campaigning, so didn't vote at all. Uh, But all Democrats voted in favor. There were about five votes from hard right folks like Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley, who actually voted in favor of this thing as well. Though I got to say, I suspect that they would have voted against it had there been an actual chance of it passing.
2: That seems like a reasonable assumption.
1: And that even though the rail companies are now, I have to underscore, making record profits and could easily afford the paid sick leave, nonetheless that part that bill did not pass and on uh, but the first one did and on friday at the white house president joe biden signed the measure that was passed thursday by the senate and wednesday by the house binding rail companies and workers to this uh, settlement uh, reached between uh, the railroads and the union leaders back in september but rejected by some of the union workers the president for decades a vocal Ally of labor, he called it the, quote, right thing to do, given the risks to the economy uh, that is still battling high inflation. He said the bill I'm about to sign ends a difficult rail dispute and helps our nation avoid what, without a doubt, would have been an economic catastrophe at a very bad time in the calendar. Not sure when the calendar is good for an economic catastrophe, <laughs> but in any event, uh, he added that his team helped negotiate a good product, but he said we still have more work to do, in my view.
3: And look, I know this bill doesn't have paid sick leave that these rail workers and, frankly, every worker in America deserves, but that fight isn't over. I didn't commit we were going to stop just because it, we couldn't get it in this bill that we were going to stop fighting for it. I've supported paid sick leave for a long time. I'm going to continue that fight till we succeed.
1: Good. I hope you will. And that's good news because, well, now President Biden does have the chance to do exactly that. The fight that progressives should focus on right now is to make sure that President Biden includes those seven days of paid sick leave in an executive order that would force federal contractors to supply those sick days to all workers. He has the power to do that According to our friend David Dayen, progressive financial journalist and executive editor over at The American Prospect, he pointed out last night on Twitter that Biden can now, quote, just issue an executive order saying that all federal contractors governed by the Railway Labor Act must extend seven paid sick days as federal contractors under the Fair Labor Standards Act, the FLSA, And other laws must. All organizing, he notes, should go towards that. So now, yes, of course, an executive order can be overturned. If he does uh, do it, it can be overturned by a, a subsequent president. But I think that's the best way to get this done, at least for now, and there's enough uh, federal contractors on the railways across the nation that I think that would probably cover just about everyone.
2: Mm. So there will be some people who would be likely left out, but it does sound like it would cover a lot like you said
1: ryan grimm at the intercept confirmed that particular strategy he reported in an update late last night uh, quote a railway union source said that the next phase of the fight would be a demand that biden include rail workers in a coming executive order that would mandate 56 hours of paid sick leave for federal contractors the bipartisan support in the House and Senate for the sick days, even though it fell short of 60, could help boost the argument for including such workers in that order, reports Ryan Grimm. So that's where we are on that uh, on that rail strike. So we told you we would keep our eyes on it. We will, of course, keep our eyes on any executive order that finally gives those workers what they deserve uh, at a minimum. All right, uh, let's uh, take a quick break here. We'll get back to some Yes 2020 uh, some 2022 election news and in fact 2022 election news that does not have to do with Georgia. We'll have a quick break and we'll come back with that and our latest green news report thereafter with I think some good news of a sort for water drinkers yes in uh in Mississippi and and actually more good news than usual in our latest green uh, GNR if I'm remembering correctly. <laughs> we'll find out that's all straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman.
2: Hey, this is Desi. The Bradcast and the Green News Report survive thanks to you and your support. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today to help us stay independent every day over your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks.
0: I guess he'd rather be in Colorado.
1: Yes, he would. He'd rather spend his time out where the sky looks like a pearl oh. after rain. That sounds nice, doesn't it? Once again. I would. I would rather be in Colorado right around now. Again, Anyway, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com, not in Colorado, here in Southern California, where it's rainy and cold, and I don't know why it's, it was, has been so nice here.
2: <laughs> but rain is good, and we desperately need it. So
1: I know, but I, a day without sunshine for me, I get kind of cranky, <laughs> as you know. I get cranky on the sunny days. Anyway, uh, welcome back to the show. As you know, the, uh, the 2022 midterm elections ain't over yet and if you're sick of them my apologies I'm not in control of this sort of thing but they continue and it's not only the runoff election that we talked about for US Senate in Georgia which will probably be settled one way or another on uh, Tuesday night we'll see we'll see you know what's the election workers prayer Uh, please don't let it be a close election yep that is also the broadcast prayer Anyway, that's going on on Tuesday. Uh, they're also continuing legal battles, baseless as they may be in most of these cases. Those continue in some courtrooms around the country, though we had some resolve on several of them yesterday, which I'll get to in a moment. And there are recounts in some contests that are still ongoing and or just now getting underway. On Wednesday, the Colorado Secretary of State's office sent me an email announcing her order for a mandatory recount of the results for the race for Colorado's U.S. House District Number no. 3. That is the race between far-right MAGA Republican Lauren Boebert, One of Desi's favorite uh, (laughs) members of Congress and uh, her uh, Democratic challenger, Adam Frisch, who ran a remarkably strong race in what none of the super genius election forecasters had even listed prior to the election on November 8 as a close race. Cook Political Report, for example, had characterized it as a district that Republicans were expected to totally easily win. But they didn't. If Bobert ends up winning here, it will be incredibly close. It appears likely that she will win pending problems or anomalies discovered during this mandatory state funded recount. But it won't have been easily if she does. The state certified results as of right now prior to the recount show Bobert up over Adam Frisch by just 550 votes. Out of more than 327,000 votes that were cast in Colorado's third congressional district, which spans almost all of western Colorado and 27 different counties in that state, which I had no idea about until she got into this close race and I looked it up and I was like, wait, The 3rd District spans 27 counties?
2: Most of them filled with cattle and sheep. (laughs)
1: Well, maybe so, but man, that's a lot of different counties.
2: And trees, lots of trees.
1: And I checked with uh, with a state election official there some weeks ago when this came up, and he told me, yeah, 27 different counties, and each of them do their own recounts in their own counties. So that's about to happen across much of the state of Colorado. As Secretary of State Jenna Griswold noted in her uh, her announcement, uh, she said because the vote differential in this race is within 0.5 percent of the winner's total, a recount is required, according to Colorado statute. All counties within U.S. House District 3 have been notified to be- to begin preparation to proceed with a recount for this race, which must be completed by Tuesday, December 13 2022, as required by statute. So they got about a week and a half to do this.
2: That's not a lot of time.
1: It's, uh, well, it's not, but the way they're doing it. I think they'll have no problem doing it. I'll get to that in a second. The results of the District 3 race reinforce the fact that every vote matters, says uh, Griswold. Griswold, uh, Quote, Colorado voters have made their voices heard, and I am ordering this recount in accordance with Colorado law to confirm the will of the voters. Well, there's an idea. But as she notes... Once the recount begins, the 27 counties that are completely or partially in U.S. House District 3 will work with their bipartisan canvas boards to complete a logic and accuracy test on the required tabulation equipment. Following the LNT uh, uh, logic and accuracy test, the counties will begin recounting all ballots for the U.S. House District 3 race in the same manner. They were processed during the election, meaning all counties will rescan ballots using tabulation equipment, with the exception of San Juan County, which will manually recount ballots because, well, that's how they counted them in the first place in San Juan County. Everyone else counted them with computer tabulators. So that means that, yes, even in this race, a race this close, 550 votes out of 327,000 votes cast. The two candidates, you know, are separated here by just sixteen hundredths of a point. Even in a race this close, the hand-marked paper ballots that were thankfully used in Colorado, you know, to mark the ballots so that we can definitely determine voter intent if we look at those ballots... Well, they will once again be tallied by the very same computers that tallied them the first time. The same computers that tallied them either correctly or incorrectly, who knows, unless they are actually counted by hand. That would tell us how they were counted. Now, instead, Colorado is simply using the same computers to tally them again a second time. Hmm. I wonder if there'll be any changes in the results. Now, much of Colorado actually does a very good job of running elections. They're mostly mail-in, mail, uh, mail in, uh, 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 hand-marked, paper-ballot elections. But recounting them in this way, in my opinion, is an insult to voters. I mean, there's a lot of uh, ballots here. What did I say? A couple of uh, 300,000, 327,000? But it's spread across 27 different counties. There's only one race that they need to tally. Really? They can't count those by hand so that by the time we're done here, that uh, both the winners and the losers can have some confidence on who actually won and who actually lost? I mentioned I've I've been speaking with a state election official about this, uh, and he confirmed to me that, yep, state law says that recounts must be done the very same way that the original tallies were done for reasons that I could not even begin to explain. While that most likely means we won't see very many changes in the results, We will, of course, be keeping our eyes on what happens there as these 27 counties get underway to uh, recount their ballots in that race in the coming days. Uh, with our fingers crossed that uh, at least Desi's fingers crossed that Lauren Boebert will be able to <laughs> retain her her congressional seat.
2: Really, honestly, all I want is just an accurate count that people can look out yeah. and say, yeah, I agree, that's an accurate count, and not have any of these openings for bad faith complaints to uh, to enter oh, in. Oh, I'm sure I don't to... know what
1: you're talking about. <laughs> who, who would do that? And even, uh, speaking of, uh, an even closer race in Arizona, uh, is also triggering a uh, recount soon. That would be the state attorney general's race. That's a very important race between Democrat Chris Mays and Trump-backed MAGA Republican Abe Hamadeh. That stands with a margin right now of just two one-hundredths of a percent, with the Democrat Mays leading the Republican Hamadeh 50.01% to 49 Point nine nine percent. So if my math is right, that is two one hundredths of a percent, or in this case, just five hundred and ten votes out of more than two and a half million cast across the race uh, across the state of Arizona.
2: Did we say yet that every single vote matters?
1: That is obviously incredibly close. So when you talk about every vote matters, yeah, right there, there's your, you know, your 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 dictionary definition, which is why it has been so insane that, you know, that what Republicans in this uh, very Republican leaning county of Cochise County, Arizona, it's insane what they have been doing in threatening there to not certify their own voters' votes for no good reason at all, which would virtually end up ensuring that the Democrat in this case, the Democrat who won by 510 votes, at least according to the initial uh, count, that it would ensure that she won that contest, given that Hamaday defeated Chris Mays in Cochise County by some 20 points. So if Cochise County, which had been threatening to not certify their results, if they didn't certify them, well the race would still go ahead. It would still be certified at the state level, but without the votes in Cochise, which would mean there is no chance that Hamaday would be able to come back, uh, even with uh, a recount in almost all certain and almost all certainty. But as of Thursday, uh, well, it looks like Cochise County has finally certified their results. Arizona on Thursday afternoon, according to Washington Post, ordered the governing board of the Ruby Red County in the southeastern quarter of the state to certify the results of the November 8 election, finding that its members had no authority to shirk a legal duty required under state law. You will meet today said state superior court judge Casey McGinley. He told that to the three members of the Cochise County Board of Supervisors, quote, you will canvass the election no later than five o'clock. When the board then convened under court order at 3.30 p.m. with one Republican absent, the two remaining supervisors, one Republican and one Democrat, voted to certify the results. Now, for the record, the board had previously voted two to one this past Monday on on the day that the state required the deadline for the uh, state requirement to certify county results. They had voted two to one, two Republicans against one Democrat to table that that certification until Friday. Both Republicans voted to table it. The Democrat in this very GOP-leaning county had voted, in fact, to certify. The Republicans were risking disenfranchising all of the county's voters, which in the process would have ended up flipping at least one Republican U.S. House victory to the Democrat who actually lost the race. It would also have changed the results of a close statewide election for supervisor of public instruction, the state school superintendent, it would have flipped that from the Republican winner in the race to the Democratic loser instead, because these Republicans in Cochise are apparently super geniuses all. <laughs> and of course, it would have meant that the uh, attorney general's race, statewide attorney general's race, as I noted, uh, would have had no chance for the Republican to somehow come back during a uh, a recount. Now, why were the Republicans in Cochise willing to do that? What made them so upset that they were willing to disenfranchise Republican And Democratic and independent voters alike, but mostly Republicans in their county, what, you know, what was the massive fraud that they were objecting to? Or the voting system failure they were objecting to? Actually, there was none at all. There was was none. You know, they have just been taken in by the brainwashing of Donald Trump's, you know, MAGA so called Stop the Steal movement, which is not about stopping election fraud at all. It is about sore loserism, I guess, period. Because there was no evidence of any problems of voting in Cochise County. But the surrender under court order on Thursday night, well, that ended the standoff in Cochise County that threatened to upend the state's process for affirming the will of more than two and a half million Arizona voters who would have uh, who would have been disenfranchised. Katie Hobbs, the Democratic secretary of state in Arizona, now the governor elect, she moved aggressively to head off that potential scenario of Republican voters, majority Republican voters being needlessly disenfranchised and Republican candidates being named losers of races that they actually won. Katie Hobbs uh, as a columnist uh, at the Arizona Republic noted a few days ago if Katie Hobbs is trying to cheat for Democrats she's really 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 bad at it. Her office in fact sued the Cochise County Board on Monday after those uh, two members, two Republican members voted to flout the deadline for all counties to certify. She uh, and she would have won by the way had they removed all of the Cochise County uh, uh, votes. Katie Hobbs still would have been the governor-elect just by way more votes than she is now. And
2: yet there she was fighting for Republican voters to get their votes counted.
1: (laughs) Go figure. Uh, And this was before state certification of all of the counties, uh, of all of the certified counties, is set to take place on Monday, December 5. Now, the Cochise County supervisors, they had trouble finding any attorneys who were willing to represent them at this court hearing on Thursday. And a separate story out of Arizona may help explain why. But the Cochise County attorney... Uh, who would normally represent them, a guy by the name of Brian McIntyre. He refused to represent the supervisors at all in the matter. He had previously advised them that what they were doing was unlawful. And, well, so without that guy, they moved on to a different Brian, a guy by the name of Brian Blem. He was the attorney who represented the cyber secu- so-called cybersecurity firm Cyber Ninjas, they're the you remember their buffoonish failed audit of the twenty twenty presidential election in Arizona. But even that guy, the cyber ninjas attorneys attorney, he declined
2: Whoa. to
1: take on this goofy case for these knuckleheads. So I you know
2: you don't have a case when the yeah, cyber ninjas lawyer ex- won't take it
1: exactly. <laughs> oh now, they did find some chump who was willing to uh, put his law license on the line. I guess, a guy by the name of Tom. Uh, Crosby. No, the guy's name is Daniel McCauley. Dom, Tom Crosby was one of the two supervisors behind uh, delaying the move. He asked the judge on Thursday to put off the proceeding until next week so that the lawyer they did find, Daniel McCauley, could get up to speed on the case. Can we do it sometime next week? No rush here.
2: It's just state law that we're ignoring.
1: The judge... Refused, saying that any continuation of the proceedings was, quote, not in the interest of justice, uh, particularly since the state is by law supposed to certify all the races on Monday. And that, of course, is when the judge said you will meet today. You will canvass the election no later than uh, than five o'clock. But maybe uh, attorneys in this state Uh, Maybe this, you know, maybe they're beginning to wise up and think twice about what they are, you know, which of these stupid cases they are willing to take on for these stupid people. Maybe that's why (laughs) the Cochise County attorney who's supposed to do it, it's his job to do it, said, no, I ain't doing it. Maybe that's why the Cyber Ninjas uh, attorney said, no, I ain't doing it. As it turns out, as this Cochise County business Uh, Played out on the very same day. A federal judge also on Thursday sanctioned lawyers for Republican gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake and Republican secretary of state candidate Mark Fincham. Now, both of them are 2020 election liars supported by the uh, former president, both of whom appear to have lost their races in Arizona in 2022, and both of whom refused to concede that fact despite zero evidence of fraud or mistally in either of their races that would affect the results somehow or turn them from losers into winners. For the record, Secretary of State Katie Hobbs narrowly defeated Carrie Lake by less than one percentage point, but by more than the half a point that would be required to trigger an automatic state-sponsored recount in Arizona, similar to uh, Colorado law there. But thanks to election laws in Arizona put in place by its Republican state legislature, With the support of Republican governors going back years and years now, thanks to them, Carrie Lake is unable to file for and pay for and receive a recount at all at this point in Arizona, even if she wanted to. And Lord knows she wants to. Now, I think that's ridiculous, frankly, if she's willing to pay for it herself. I see no reason that she shouldn't be able to have a recount as, you know, in theory, it would help. Both her and, more importantly, her supporters gained confidence in her loss or her win, if it turns out she won. Even if you and I, uh, you know, all know that, you know, particularly these cyber ninjas, uh, <laughs> what we saw there post-election audit, uh, you know, after Trump's loss in 2020, they still pretended that they hadn't lost Despite all evidence to the contrary, but still a candidate ought to be able to pay for such a recount if they want one. But that is not the case in Arizona. And there is zero evidence, meanwhile, to suggest at this time that Lake did anything, Lake or Fincham did anything but lose her governor's uh, contest against uh, Secretary of State Hobbs and uh, Fincham's against Adrian Fontes, the Democrat who won for Secretary of State to replace Hobbs. Now, as to the loony Trump backed GOP Secretary of State, Mark Fincham, uh, he was at the just so you know, he was at the January 6th insurrection himself. He opposes all mail-in and early voting. Well, he lost to Adrian Fontes by about five points or about 120,000 votes And in his case, he has also refused to concede the race as well, despite no evidence of fraud in his contest either. And I I don't mind. Frankly, I know that a lot of Democrats are furious about it. Oh, he needs to concede. No, he doesn't. If he doesn't want to concede, he doesn't have to concede. That is up to him.
2: Yeah. Concession has no legal force at all.
1: It's meaningless.
2: It's just a it's just a formality.
1: It's a legal, uh, uh, I'm sorry, a political nicety. You know, there, there's no legal requirement for any candidate to concede at all. And even if they do, it doesn't mean anything. Adam Frisch, for example, in Colorado, in that U.S. House race in the 3rd District against Lauren Boebert. Adam Frisch conceded. Well, guess what? They're having a recount. If it turns out that uh, he picks up enough votes in this recount to win, he still gets to win, even though he conceded. A concession is nothing. But the problem here is that... Uh, You know, both of these candidates uh, 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 in, in Arizona, Mark Fincham and Carrie Lake, they both went to court to try and stop everything, to stop the certification of their elections and or to have themselves somehow declared the winner in contravention of what state voters actually voted for, according to all available evidence. And now, finally, a federal judge... In the state of Arizona is, frankly, getting sick of this crap and uh, hoping to nip this nonsense finally in the bud. It may be too late for that, but he is sanctioning the attorneys who filed these frivolous lawsuits on behalf of these candidates. Not a moment too soon, in my opinion. Lake and Fincham sued Maricopa County earlier this year, before the election. In uh, hopes of requiring a hand count of the vote in that county and only in that county for some reason, that's the largest county in the state. It's home to Phoenix. Uh, also, they sued in Pima County, the home to Tucson, the second largest county.
2: Where the vast majority of Democratic voters are concentrated. Go
1: figure. Federal Judge John Tucci of the U.S. District Court for the District of Arizona, nominated to the federal bench by Barack Obama, by the way, he dismissed their lawsuit back in August. He determined that Lake and Fincham had made vague and unsubstantiated allegations about the flaws of voting machines. They filed a notice of appeal. The following month and in his new ruling on Thursday, the judge found that sanctions in the case were appropriate, quote, to send a message to those who might file similarly baseless suits in the future and that sanctions would, quote, make clear that the court will not condone litigants furthering false narratives that baselessly undermine public trust at a time of increasing disinformation about and trust in the democratic process. Judge Judge Tucci reasoned that um, payment of attorney's fees for Maricopa County was a proper sanction as the county and its lawyers had to, quote, spend time and resources defending the frivolous lawsuit rather than preparing for the elections over which plaintiffs claim baselessly uh, kicked up a uh, a cloud of dust. So this was... Before the election, they were already suing. They were already taking time away from election officials and their ability to prepare for, you know, a difficult and a big election. A little bit more from uh, Judge Tucci's ruling on Thursday. He writes, although the court does not find that plaintiffs have acted appropriately in this manner, far from it. The court concludes that sanctions are warranted only against plaintiffs counsel who signed and filed the offending papers. To sanction plaintiffs' counsel here is not to let plaintiffs off the hook. It is to penalize specific attorney conduct with the broader goal of deterring similarly baseless filings initiated by anyone, whether an attorney or not. The court, uh, he wrote, shares the concerns expressed by other federal courts about misuse of the judicial system, to baselessly cast doubt on the electoral process in a manner that is conspicuously consistent with the plaintiff's political ends. In other words... These folks know there is, you know, no good reason to sue, but they figure they will kick up a lot of dust if they file lawsuits. So, you know, folks like Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump can, you know, go on Fox News and say, well, there's been 20 lawsuits filed. Obviously, this was a flawed election.
2: Yeah, to achieve their political ends.
1: Judge Tucci goes on to write, imposing sanctions in this case is not to ignore the importance of putting in place procedures to ensure that our elections are secure and reliable. It is to make clear that the court will not condone litigants ignoring the steps that Arizona has already taken towards this end and furthering false narratives that basely, baselessly undermine public trust at a time of increasing disinformation about and distrust in the democratic process. It is to send a message to those who might file similarly baseless suits in the future. So to force attorneys to think twice before they're willing to take on a, you know, take and, and take a whole bunch of money for filing, you know, any old nonsense that these brainwashed sore loser wingnut dupes want them to putting a cost on those attorneys who, aside from, you know, having to cough up money here, are also going to be faced with serious career issues after receiving sanctions like this from a federal court. This is a big deal to federal judges, uh, to federal attorneys. The judge's order directed Maricopa County to detail their their attorney's fees within 14 days among attorneys listed, by the way, by the candidates in the court filings was Alan Dershowitz. Really? Yep. Hi, Alan. He is, of course, the former Harvard Law School professor who's become uh, previously advised former President Donald Trump, who seems more than willing to debase himself in all manner of ways these days uh, at the end of his career, I guess. Dershowitz. Yep. Uh, moreover, speaking of uh, who do you think I was talking about? Uh, Trump. <laughs> yeah, he's he's always been willing to do that. Anyway, speaking of willing to debase oneself, the case was financed uh, in Arizona largely by My Pillow guy CEO uh, Mike Lindell, who has promoted all manner of debunked nonsense about voter fraud and is now running. To become the chair of the Republican National Committee in classic Lindell style, he further beclowned himself on Thursday night, telling The Washington Post that, quote, the uh, well the sanctions were unwarranted. He said, quote, they had more experts and more evidence than any case in history, he said. It's disgusting what judges are doing, <laughs> including that one, he said. Lindell is, of course, himself facing uh, two different billion dollar defamation suits from two different voting machine companies for lying about their voting systems. Uh, Carrie Lake, meanwhile, was at Trump's Mar-a-Lago Club in Florida on Thursday when this order came down in Arizona. She was scheduled to deliver marks out there and to accept an award at an event hosted by Moms for America, if you can see my air quotes through the radio, <laughs> which says it's a, quote, national movement of mothers to reclaim our culture for truth, family, freedom and the Constitution. So there you go. At least Carrie Lake won something this year. Quick break and we're back with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report right here on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. <laughs> Be clear, by the way, to be clear, I want to make clear that, uh, you know, uh, people and attorneys and candidates ought to be able to go to court to sue if they have concerns about what happened in their elections. The problem is they keep filing these lawsuits that you read the lawsuits and there's actually no basis for the claims that they're making in the lawsuits. Right. They're ridiculous. They're making ridiculous claims without evidence to support them just in hopes of basically raising money, fundraising and, uh, you know, hoaxing their their supporters.
2: It's a grift. It's not the same as people legitimately seeking answers on how an election actually turned out.
1: There you go. Thank you. All right, that said, uh, let's get to it. Our latest Green News report.
2: The Justice Department has named a third-party manager to oversee Jackson, Mississippi's beleaguered water system. DOJ acts to clean up Jackson's failing water supply. Hawaii volcano eruption shuts down global CO2 monitoring site. Plus...
3: As all of you know, there are tribal communities at risk of being washed away superstorms,
2: Biden Interior Department announces funding to help tribal communities escape rising seas.
1: All of those escapes and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. He gave voted four times. Four times against the Keystone Pipeline. Y'all know
0: what that means? Do y'all know what that means? He gave up our energy... To
1: the enemies. Right. The enemies being Canada? Good luck, Hershel Walker. This is your Green News Report. Okay, so seriously, Desi Doyne, do you have any idea who Herschel Walker is referring to as the enemy? (laughs) No. When it comes to the Keystone XL pipeline? No, I
2: had trouble following his remarks completely.
1: I don't understand why. What do you got for us today?
2: Well, first, the Justice Department has sued Jackson, Mississippi, for failing to provide drinking water compliant with the Safe Drinking Water Act. After historic flooding in August caused a water treatment plant to fail, leaving residents without safe tap water for drinking and washing for weeks. The department will also appoint a temporary third-party manager to stabilize and hopefully improve the city's drinking water system, which has been plagued by failures for many years. You're
1: welcome, Mississippi.
2: A new study warns that the freakish, record, deadly heat wave in the Pacific Northwest in summer 2021 that killed hundreds of people in the U.S. and Canada was not a one-time black swan event, but a preview. The new study in Nature Climate Change projects that due to global warming, such extreme heat events will likely recur in the Pacific Northwest every 10 years or so by the year 2050, unless governments act more swiftly to cut fossil fuel emissions.
0: Yeah,
1: they're in trouble.
2: A different study has found that winter has warmed the fastest of any season in the United States, according to Climate Central. The researchers found that the magnitude of winter warming since 1970 has been the most extreme in the Midwest and Northeast. In Hawaii, the eruption of Mauna Loa, the world's largest active volcano, has shut down the global carbon dioxide monitor that has been tracking levels of atmospheric CO2 since the 1950s. Lava flows cut off road access and electricity, knocking the site offline possibly for months. But the world does now have other monitoring sites to make up for that unfortunate gap in data.
1: Any idea why we built the carbon dioxide monitoring site right next Next to an active volcano?
2: Yes. It's the perfect place on the planet to monitor global carbon dioxide because it is above pollution and it is most representative of the global atmosphere. Huh.
1: Okay, if you say so.
2: I don't say so. Scientists say so. Don't
1: listen to scientists.
2: In other news, the Bureau of Land Management this week proposed new tighter rules to curb climate-warming methane emissions from oil and gas drilling and reduce wasted natural gas on federal and tribal lands. The new rules tighten requirements for drillers to fix leaks and reduce flaring. That's the burning of methane gas at the well or venting it directly into the atmosphere, which wastes the resource and Cheats the public out of royalties
1: Hasn't the uh, federal government Been going back and forth on this for years Obama tried to do this, Trump stopped it Now Biden's doing it again?
2: Yes, these are actually much tighter rules Than anyone has ever proposed before
1: Well, let's put them in place quickly, shall we?
2: It matters because methane Is a short-lived, potent greenhouse gas With 80 times the warming power of CO2 Over a 20-year period So rapid cuts to methane leaks Pay off big in reducing near-term warming Bigly. Good news. Pennsylvania's Democratic Attorney General and Governor-elect Josh Shapiro announced this week that Cotera Energy has pleaded no contest to environmental crimes for polluting water supplies with their natural gas fracking operations. The company will pay $16 million to construct a new public water supply in Susquehanna County. Nice. Finally, at the 2022 White House Tribal Nations Summit on Wednesday, the Biden Interior Department announced additional funding to help several Native American tribes move their communities to higher ground away from rising seas and the worsening impacts of climate change. It's part of a new program to create a blueprint for the federal government to help other communities, Native as well as non-tribal, move away from vulnerable areas. Here's President Biden at the Tribal Nations Summit.
3: As all of you know, there are tribal communities at risk of being washed away by superstorms, rising sea levels, and wildfires raging. And it's devastating. That's why today I'm announcing a $135 million commitment to help 11 tribal communities from Maine, Louisiana, Arizona, Washington State, and Alaska to move, in some cases, their entire communities back to safer
1: ground. And so it begins. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. run away from that song from Jefferson Starship. <laughs> that uh, that said, yeah, this is kind of the beginning. We are going to see, w- what is it called? Managed. It's called
2: Managed Retreat. Yeah. This is uh, the beginning of a conversation that's going to be uh, a growing part of the American conversation for the next hundred years or so. As sea levels rise, they're projected to rise about, I don't know, three to five feet by 2100, uh, probably two, maybe even three feet by 2050, which means everybody's got to move Pretty fast.
1: A lot of people living in a lot of places where they're not going to be able to live and we're going to have to move entire communities. Exactly. Because, and, you know,
2: the storms and, and the storm surge and flooding will get them first before the sea level.
1: And the uh, Native Americans are sort of our test case here, I guess, uh, through this program to see how it would be done. Yep. Anyway, so it begins. All right, we got to get out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyne, Thanks, Des, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other we've done since the beginning of time, (laughs) you can download them anytime for free at bradblog.com. Hey, while you're there, up on the top right corner, there's a handy new tool. You can just fill in any number you like to help us uh, stay on your public airwaves with a one-time donation or... Uh, much more importantly so, a uh, regular automated monthly subscription. Thank you in advance. Drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the BradBlog. I will see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.